Hi guys, my name is Adya, a computer and cognitive scientist in the making, and you're listening to Thunk It, where I discuss some of the implicit governing factors of our lives and what they really mean. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thunk It. Today I'll be discussing the very popular bystander effect. Now, just in case you aren't already familiar with this term, it's essentially this notion that individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim when there are other people present. So maybe if you're witnessing a medical emergency or something along those lines and there's a lot of people present, maybe you might feel that, okay, I don't need to call um, the ambulance or help just because of the presence of other people. Now, before I go into the details of this phenomena and why it really happens, um, let me give you a little bit of background as to why it really came to be in the first place and why why was it theorized to be uh, an observable phenomena. So, in 1946, there was a woman named Kitty Genovese and she happened to be just walking outside her apartment building and apparently she was attacked and consequently a victim of murder. So, two weeks after this event happened, the New York Times published an article which claimed that around 38 witnesses saw or heard the attack in some form or another. And while this number of witnesses has been debated as to whether or not it really was 38 people, I think it, it's good enough to say that there were a lot of people who witnessed this murder in some way. And all of them refused to help. Or didn't refuse, but they, they didn't help. Right? So the, the attack first began at around 3.20am but it was not reported until 3.50 a.m., so that's 30 whole minutes that went by. And based on this article and this event is where this idea of the bystander effect really stems, because so many people were there to witness a, a horrific scene of murder, but none of them contacted or directly, uh, directly helped the victim. So the question then is, why is it that none of these people helped or called for help? So in this episode, I'm going to go through a list of a couple of reasons why people tend to fall prey to the bystander effect and if there's really a way that you can avoid it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go straight into it. First one, first reason why bystander effect is so, so observable is this idea of diffusion of responsibility. So because of the presence of other people and other observers, the, an individual might not feel as much pressure to take action themselves. That's simply because the responsibility is shared among all the people that are present. Right, so if you were the sole witness of this event, maybe it's it's actually more likely that um, you'll feel more pressure and more burden to actually take action. So, a, a couple of things that come under this idea of diffusion of responsibility is also the degree of responsibility. So, what determines how responsible you feel to take action in a certain event? 
So one thing that that often determines is whether or not a, uh, an observer feels that the victim is deserving of help. So um, maybe it just it just doesn't seem that it's that big of an emergency, or maybe the victim is not appearing to be honest. Maybe um, someone is asking you for money on the subway because they've lost their wallet, and in that case, you might you might feel that oh, I think this is a scam and this person is not deserving of help. So that's that's one point where you might feel a heightened or lowered degree of responsibility. Second is the competence of the bystander. So um, it, it's, it's dependent on if you are surrounded by other people who are also witnessing the event, the idea that other people cannot take action puts more responsibility on you. So maybe if um, you and a disabled person is uh, witnessing an event, it may be very well. It may very well be possible that the disabled person is unable to take action, um, and therefore it it falls upon you to do something about it. And finally, there's the relationship between the bystander and the victim. So of course, um, I think this. This comes quite intuitively that if you know the person, if you know the victim personally, you're more likely to be the one to initiate help instead of if the victim is a stranger to you. And um, of course, it then goes on to say that there's a couple of different ways that you can help. Um, so two primary ones, of course, being direct intervention. So maybe you directly interact with the victim, maybe maybe you're helping them, uh, holding them up, or whatever it may be. Or secondly, there's a detour intervention, which refers to maybe calling the authorities, calling the police, calling an ambulance. So the type of help that's required in the situation can also impact whether or not someone helps. So maybe, you know, a detour intervention is a lot it's it's lower risk compared to direct intervention so in a medical emergency calling an ambulance is significantly easier than actually um, assisting the person medically if you are equipped to do so so these these couple of things are very important in determining whether or not a person helps and this come under these come under the realm of diffusion of responsibility i.e the presence of others but there's a couple of other things as well that should be noted so Another reason that comes comes to say as to why people don't often help is whether or not helping is the socially acceptable behavior in that situation. So when other observers fail to react to a situation and you are observing that people are not helping, an individual is likely to take this as a signal that a response is not needed or the response is not appropriate for that given situation. So, actually, in the case of the murder of Kitty Genovese, many of the witnesses reported that they actually believed that it wasn't an actual murder or attack because of the noises they heard. In fact, that they thought it was just a fight between two people. And um, it wouldn't be appropriate, of course, in that situation to um, intervene and stop the fight. So... This, this it's a gray line to determine whether or not something is socially acceptable behavior and that's why people often draw their cues from based on observation of other bystanders there's this norm of social responsibility 
which states that people should help other people who are in need of help and who are dependent on them for it. So um, this, this ties in very well to this idea of group cohesion or social belongingness, so to say. So if a group is more cohesive or more linked, then the, the chances of someone helping are far more likely as compared to an incohesive group. In fact, there was a research which was done and it was, it was um, observed that bystanders were more likely to help an injured person if that person was wearing a football jersey of a team that the bystander liked, as opposed to a team that the bystander did not like. Or alternatively, if the person was just wearing a football jersey versus a plain t-shirt, and if the bystander, of course, was a football fan. So all of these things tie into group cohesiveness because um, liking the same football team or just liking a sport, whatever it may be, subconsciously puts you into the same group of people. And, you know, it's very similar to the idea of being friends with someone. You're more likely to help someone if you know them, if you're friends with them, if you're related to them. So all of these things tie in into what does and does not constitute socially acceptable behavior or in terms of um, the social nature or relationship with the victim. As a little bit of a tangent now, there was a meta-analysis of the bystander effect, which reported that the bystander effect was reduced, i.e. more people were likely to intervene, when, three situations were noted, First, that the situation was perceived as dangerous compared with non-dangerous. So if the situation is dangerous, you're more likely to intervene and do something rather than be passive about it. Secondly, when the perpetrators were present compared with non-present. So it, of course, again ties in with the idea of danger. Presence is heightened danger. So you're more likely to intervene when there are perpetrators present. And finally, the cost were, cost of intervention were physical. So if it were the case that the event was likely to cause you physical harm, then you're more likely to intervene as compared to if it were to cause you mental harm or maybe financial or monetary harm or things like that. So there's a couple of things that have been observed to reduce the bystander effect. And um, I think it's it's a good idea to have these in mind when going into situations uh, or analyzing situations which have the bystander effect in place. So if people really did think that the in the case of Kitty Genovese, it was just um, a fight between two people who knew each other, then there's not much of a danger, there's not much of a physical um, harm that may come about. And all of these things then, of course, tie into whether or not the witnesses intervened. Now, uh, going into a few more differences, not in as much depth. So there's another one, which is cultural differences. Um, this is somewhat tied to this idea of social belongingness and socially acceptable behavior. Um, it goes without saying that different cultures have different um, opinions or conventions of the bystander effect. In fact, if you look at 
um, more of the collectivistic cultures. So, for example, in China or a lot of the East Asian um, region, you'll observe that people have a tendency to not help as much. In fact, if you especially when concerning people who are not in the in-group. So there's a recorded phenomena in one of the Chinese societies that um, if, if Chinese people or locals of that region were to observe um, perhaps an injury or whatever need for assistance by a foreigner, they're a lot less likely to help and maybe even um, move away from, remove themselves from the situation instead of helping as compared to maybe individualistic societies uh, more observed in, for example, Western societies like America, Europe, and so forth. So this essentially ties into the idea of in-group and out-group. So people belonging to their culture in collectivistic groups are seen as the in-group people who are friends with you, people who you should be helping because they are dependent on you. So the, the norm of social help in that case is followed. But um, when, when it's an individualistic society, um, people may be more open to helping people outside their in-group. Right, so people who don't necessarily belong to their group, people who are not not necessarily considered friends or acquaintances. So there's a lot more openness in that sense. Another reason for determining intervention is examining the ambiguity and consequences of the intervention itself. So once again, ties in with the idea of danger. So you determine your own safety before helping others. But besides from danger, it's more concerned with ambiguity of the situation. So it may not necessarily be dangerous, but just if you are unfamiliar with the situation or ambiguous as to the outcome of the situation, you may look upon others or the other bystanders for guidance as to whether or not you should intervene. And if it is the case that everybody, all the bystanders feel the same way and everybody is looking at each other for guidance, then it once again ties in to the idea of socially acceptable behavior. So if nobody is intervening, at least not immediately, and they're taking their time, then other people might receive the signal that they should not intervene either. So this was so it's not considered socially acceptable, or maybe it's considered inappropriate in that situation based on social cues to intervene despite the seriousness of the situation. And um, finally, there's whether or not you're familiar with the environment. So once again, tying in with ambiguity, but also the environment is very very important. So this is why you might see foreigners not uh, helping as much, offering as much help to the locals, or maybe you know, let's say you were in a restaurant and you observe someone having a medical emergency, you're much more likely to wait for the people in charge in that restaurant to come in and take responsibility instead of doing something yourself even though it doesn't necessarily fall upon upon them automatically to to be the ones who need to help immediately but nevertheless you look upon them because they are much more familiar with the environment of the restaurant and you can observe this on a much larger scale as well in countries um so you know you 
would rarely find a tourist helping a local in when they're visiting a foreign country as compared to the opposite, which is the local helping the foreigner, right? So it's it's tied with this idea of environment, um, of social belongingness, of social intervention, and so forth. So having examined all of these different reasons as to why someone may or may not intervene, now, the question then becomes is, how do you prevent the bystander effect? And is it necessarily a bad thing, right? So it ex exists because of these social cues and factors. So surely at some point of time, it was a necessary part of social convention to have this bystander effect to ensure maybe you, you could avoid group threat, you could avoid... Um, social ambiguity based on um, dangers from the outsiders and so forth. So it existed for a reason and that was to favour the in-group and favour social belongingness. However, as we do move into a very cosmopolitan era of um, global belongingness, not necessarily a set and defined in-group, it becomes important to prevent the bystander effect. So even though we are very socially wired to follow in the footsteps of this effect, the, the primary and the possibly the only way to prevent the bystander effect is to be very, very aware of it, unconsciously aware of it. When you're observing a situation which requires intervention, Maybe you can do a quick run through and examine whether people are not helping because it's socially inappropriate or whether it really is the case that you're falling prey to this effect, right? So take an, or at least make an attempt, attempt to examine the situation objectively instead of socially and what you would do if there were no other people there. Would you continue to not help or would you go on to help? So I'll wrap up this episode right there and um, hopefully the next time you're faced with a situation where there's people observing and not intervening a scenario which should be, uh, which requires intervention, um, you'll be able to consider whether or not you're falling prey to this effect. Alright, thank you very much for listening and I will see you all in the next episode.